What's going on, Faith Church? Hey, man, it's great to see everybody here. Welcome. Hey, man, let's give it up for our Faith Church family up in Lawrenceburg. Man, it's good to have you guys. Hey, if you are a Faith Church family, whether you're watching live, whether you're in one of our campuses in Florence or Lawrenceburg, we want you to know, man, we're glad that you're here. Especially want to give a big shout out, man, to all of our first-time guests. We are glad that you are in the house, man. It's great to have you guys here. Listen, we are in a series we started several weeks ago entitled B, and all we're talking about is just this idea of a nativity set. All of us, we have them, uh, most of us at least in our homes. The holidays roll around, and we get into our attics, and we get into our sheds, and we get into our basements, and we pull out the Christmas decorations, especially the nativity scene, and just kind of take it all in, set it all up, and then the end of the month rolls around, New Year comes, and we pack it all back up, and we put it all back away. And it's almost this idea that even though we may not say this, but sometimes we feel like Jesus is just for a season, that the nativity is just for this opportunity for us to maybe sing some special songs, attend some extra Christmas services. And it's this idea that we unwrap Jesus. We pull off the bubble wrap of religion. We set him up. We celebrate him for a season, and we put him back. What we've been saying through this entire series is this, is that the nativity, it's more than an event to be celebrated. It really is an experience to be lived. That as we look at everything that the nativity represents, every character that's in there speaks to something in our lives and is a call to action. It's a call to response, that it's not just something we watch from afar. It's not just something we clap for, but Jesus came to change lives and transform hearts and that we would walk out of faith that's real and living. Come on, somebody. So it's this call to be. In fact, through this series, a couple people we've looked at. Week one, we looked at these people known as the shepherds. If you are familiar with the story when Jesus is born, you know this, but if you're new to Scripture, new to the Bible, new to church, ultimately when Jesus was born, the first people who got a birth announcement was this group of guys called shepherds. Kind of nobodies, low on the totem pole in the socioeconomic scale of uh, Middle Eastern Palestine at that time. They were kind of nobodies, but God thought enough of them that they would get the message. And so they, when they hear that Jesus is born, that this Savior this Messiah, this rescuer, this redeemer would come. They're so fired up that they say this, hey, let's go see. Let's go check this out. Is this, is this legit? Is this true? And when they get there and they check it out and they see that sure enough, this baby is born, they then go say, hey, let's go tell. And so what we said in week one is we need to be like the shepherds. We need to be tellers. Everybody shout, be a teller. Be a teller. If you've had an experience with God's grace, you no, he's good, man. God has showed up in a situation in your life. Maybe you were hopeless. Maybe you were in a desperate spot. Or maybe God showed up and maybe moved you to a new season in a relationship or in a business. But you knew it was God's goodness and God's mercy and God's grace. Is anybody here today thankful that you've had an encounter and experience with the goodness and the mercy of God? Come on. Give him five seconds of praise if you're thankful for what he's done. So we talked about week one, be a teller. Last week, we talked about these group of guys known as the Magi or the wise men. It was these group of guys we talked about that over hundreds of years, God, God spoke through Old Testament prophets, the voice box for God, that God would speak to them and they would make these announcements. And part of their prophecies were that not just the Messiah was coming, but information about when he would be born and even where he would be born. And because of the information they had, they went on a hot pursuit to find, to seek out Jesus. They wanted to get there. They wanted to worship him. And so what we said last week is this. We need to be like the wise men. We need to be seekers. 
That if you're far from God, if you're new to spiritual things, if you're just investigating, that's okay. But be a seeker. Just keep chasing after God. And if you're here and you've been serving Jesus for a long time, no matter how close you are, we can all afford to get just a little bit closer, but you got to be a seeker. Come on, somebody. So today and next week for Christmas, we're going to look at two of the primary characters in the nativity set and in the Christmas story and ultimately in the coming of Christ. But let me ask this question. How many of you here in this room have ever been a victim of volunteerism? Now, let me, let me qualify that a little bit because when I say a victim of volunteerism, a lot of times it begins to happen. I can only speak for men. I don't know, girls, if you go through this when you're young. But a lot of times when, like, you're a teen, preteen, teenager, you start to hear things like this. I bet you won't. I double dog dare you. And all of a sudden, you feel like you got to step up and volunteer for whatever you've been challenged to do. Come on. Or sometimes if you're really gutsy, nobody even has to say it, you say, watch this. And when someone says, watch this, or someone steps into, I bet you won't, it's going to end bad because you just volunteered to be a victim. Now, I thought of all the stories I could share, but since I'm not aware of the statute of limitations of some of them, I'm not going to tell them because I don't want anybody to go to jail. Oh, come on. Some of you got a pass. You ain't been in church your whole life. So I, I had to hold back a little bit. But, you know, I start all the way back to, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And, you know, some of you all know what I'm talking about. I grew up in the BMX generation. You might know what I'm talking about BMX, like when people actually left their house as kids and went and rode bikes in the neighborhood. And the BMX were the race bikes. And when you, come on, who had a BMX bike growing up? Woo, the 20-inch. Come on, somebody. The mongoose. Oh, I need to find one and go ride it again. I won't look quite as cool at this age or size. But when you had a BMX as a kid, when you went riding, you jumped everything, right? You bunny hop, you jump curves, everything you can come to, you jump. And someone always had this idea, hey, let's build a ramp. And you just didn't jump anything. Come on, you jumped your friends. And so the volunteer wasn't the guy jumping. The volunteer was the cat who had to lay down and be jumped, especially if you thought you had a really good friend and they couldn't just jump one person, but they could jump like, like evil Knievel, like buses, like four or five. The volunteer that was the greatest victim was the one who laid last because there was a good chance they was going to get some tire rubber on their forehead. Woo! Victims of volunteerism. Right, it happens. It happens in adulthood, right? You ever volunteer to help a friend move? They tell you, hey, I got all kinds of friends coming. Just be, and you get there, and you're the only person there. And you feel too bad to leave, but you're, you're Christian cussing under your breath the whole time. Woo, come on. Right? We volunteer for things, and what feels like it might be fun or glorious or awesome, sometimes we end up being a victim of being a volunteer. Now, here's the crazy thing is, as you read the narrative of Scripture, now, if you're a holier-than-thou Bible reader, oh, thou holy word of God. Now, I just want you to know, man, I believe in God's word. It's valuable. It's holy. It's true. But you have to read it. These are real people living in real situations. Like, they're real like you and I. And sometimes when you read the narrative of Scripture, when you read the stories, these are real people. And what we look at as, wow, that was awesome. God did it. At the time when they volunteered, it looked like they were victims. Right? I mean, you can read all of these stories and all these people like, God, I'll go. God, send me. And they might have even been resistant at the front part, but they ended up volunteering for the task. And you watch their story unfold. And unfortunately, sometimes when you watch people do what God's called them to do, oftentimes it gets worse before it gets better. And you have to wonder, like, is God up in heaven like, oh, man, I can't believe I got him to do that. <laughs> like victims of volunteerism. 
Again, when you read scriptures, there are a lot of volunteers that look like victims. In fact, one that I want to talk about today is one of the cornerstones of the Christmas message, and it's this person by the name of Mary. She is the one who birthed the Messiah, who gave birth to the deliverer, to our Savior Jesus. She's the one, and she really was a volunteer. In fact, at some point, we're going to see this in just a minute, when she hears the call, when she hears the challenge to be the one to give birth to the Messiah, basically she says this, hey, I'll volunteer. I'll do it. Pick me. And so we're going to look and see how this plays out. Check this out. Luke chapter 1, verse 28 and 29 says this. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I bet she did. He said, Hey, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. And he'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever in his kingdom. Come on, will be will never end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the baby to be born will be holy and he'll be called the Son of God. And Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. So when she heard, when she heard the call, she said, I volunteer. I volunteer like I'll do it. Let's talk about Mary for a minute because it's important, especially in the context of Christianity at large, that we really reel in and understand who this woman is. Now, here in the South, um, I don't really see a lot or hear a lot of Catholics. Um, I'm from Ohio, and in the North, there are a lot of Catholics. In fact, every, every kid I grew up with, none of them loved Jesus, but they were all Catholics. Um, you know, I didn't know any kids that were really passionate about the Lord, but they all went to Catholic church. All of them but me. I went to church one time in the fourth grade, and it was to a Catholic church, and sweet Lord Jesus. Like, we do services in 70 minutes. I think theirs was about 70 hours. But let's talk about it because Catholics, and if you're here and you are Catholic or have a Catholic background, I don't want this to be offensive, but again, we just need to understand who Mary is, and Catholics really have cornered the market of Mary. And when I say that, it's because they have elevated her to a place that really sometimes is not biblical. And here's why. It's because Catholics believe a couple things about Mary that Scripture does not tell us. Catholics believe, for example, that not only was Jesus born of her as a virgin, but they teach something called the Immaculate Conception. If you've ever heard of that, that's not her saying she was a virgin when she gave birth to Mary. That is Catholic theology saying that Mary's mother was a virgin, that she came from a virgin. So Catholics believe that she was virgin-born, believe she was sinless. We know she wasn't sinless. She went to the temple herself and made sacrifices. Luke chapter 2 records that. So we know she wasn't sin-free. Catholics also believe that she never slept with Joseph, never had any more kids. Scripture clearly teaches that Jesus had some other brothers and sisters. And ultimately, more than that, the Pope recently said, actually, well, several years ago said that Mary is the co-mediator and co-redeemer of mankind. What the Pope was saying was that Mary was responsible for redeeming us or saving us or delivering us. And that's why Catholics and some of you who maybe know Catholics or grew up Catholic, you know the prayer that's often prayed. Part of that prayer is, um, you know, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now, sinners, now and in the hour of our death. 
And I just want you to know something that there is only one mediator. There's only one go between. There's only one gap filler between us and God. And the Bible says it's the man Christ Jesus. It's not Mary. Jesus is the only one who came. He's the only one who died. He's the only one who can save. And so you just have to understand that, that she's not a co-redeemer. But here's what you need to know. She's not co-mediator. She's not co-redeemer. But however, she is a great example of faith. That while we shouldn't worship her, we can learn something from her. While we shouldn't elevate her to the place that we ever pray to her, we can still take a page out of her playbook for who she was because Mary was a volunteer. In fact, Luke chapter 1, verse 28, again, when the angel shows up, here's the message, right? Angel shows up. And here's the message she gets. Greetings, favored woman. Now, when you hear that term favored, what do you think of? I mean, I have to believe, I don't know if she felt favored. She probably didn't look very favored. In fact, here's what you need to know about Mary in the essence of really who she was. If you've ever seen any artwork of Mary, especially if you grew up Catholic, if you didn't, still there are pictures and artworks all over from great artists. And the picture we get of Mary is that she's this 30-something beautiful woman. She's all put together, beautiful, expensive, flowing gown. She's even got a halo, and she's holding baby Jesus, and baby Jesus has a halo. Now, that's a great picture, but it's not reality. Because if you've ever had a, a baby, you know babies don't hold still for pictures. And Jesus was a real human child. He was fully God, but fully man, which means he was just like any other baby. He wasn't standing there smiling with a halo over his head. He was standing there with snot coming out of his nose and probably needed a diaper change and was ready to be fed and was crying a little bit. Come on, somebody. And Mary, here's what you need to know about Mary. This is really important because, again, the angel said, hey, you're favored. Everybody shout favored. You're favored. Let me tell you something about Mary. Mary was probably somewhere between 12 and 13 years old because that's typically when girls in that part of the world at that time got married. So she's 12, 13, when she's probably around 14 years old when she gave birth to our Savior. Some of you won't trust your kids with a cell phone. The father trusted her with the Savior of the world. She's probably uh, illiterate. Typically at that time, um, only kids, only male children were sent to school. So she's young, she's illiterate, and she's from Nazareth, which means she's most likely poor. You know those small towns with one well, one hotel, like you just kind of stop by to get gas, get a corn dog, and you're on your way? That's Nazareth. When Jesus started his ministry and people knew who he was and where he came from, they asked this question, can anything good come from Nazareth? So I'm just telling you, how is it that a young, poor, illiterate girl is, is favored? See, our mindset in, 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 the, in our, the culture we live, we think favor means that God is going to bless your plan. We think favored is about the bottom line. We think favored is all about the Benjamins, that if you got a lot of money and you drive a nice car, you're favored. If, you, if your marriage is great and your kids are all doing great, you're favored. But if life is falling apart, if things don't make sense, if you're in a touch, well, you must not be favored by God. But I want you to know this young girl, she was favored even though she didn't look favored, which means you can be favored when you don't feel favored. Come on, somebody. Because favor... Favor isn't a feeling, and favor isn't a bottom line. Favor isn't the house you live in. Favor isn't the clothes you wear. Favor is about perspective. Here's what I mean by perspective. I, I love Christmas. It's the time of the year. I, I get geeked up about it, and I grew up because my dad, especially, and this is one of the things I loved about him, is he would always love this time of the year, and he's passed this on to me, and I somehow pass it on to my kids. We are a family that when we buy a gift for somebody, we don't want to wait for Christmas. Like, we buy it, wrap it, and we want you to open it right now. 
Like the tape isn't even stuck yet. You're like, well, open it. Right? How many people know what I'm talking about? And my dad used to do this all the time as a kid. He still does this. I'm a grown man. I'm 47 years old. And if I see my dad and I'll see him in about a week, this is my dad. He'll walk in and be like, wait until you see what we got you. And I can be having a bad day, but I start getting fired up. And here's why. Watch, this is so big. Because my father knows something that's down the road for me that I don't know yet. So while I might feel like an average day or bummed out, my dad knows something about me that he has for me. And so in that moment, I'm favored. What you need to know is you can be in a season of life where it looks bad and it feels bad and it's not going your way. Your favor is not about where you are or your plan. It's about the plan God has for you. He's got something in your future you ought to get amped up about. But if you're going to walk in it, you got to volunteer for it. Everybody say, I'm a volunteer. She said, I'll do it, God. Pick me. I don't look favored, but it's a good plan. Here's what her favor was. Here was the favor she carried. Are you ready? 700 years before this time this angel showed up, a prophet by the name of Isaiah said this about the coming Messiah, said this about our Savior and the Deliverer. said, behold, I'll give you a sign. You'll know her when you see her. You'll know the Messiah when he comes. Here's how, because a virgin will give birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel. And 700 years in the future, after Isaiah spoke that, an angel shows up and says, you know why you're favored? I know you can't read. I know you don't have a lot of money, but here's what you need to know. You are the fulfillment of the prophecy spoken 700 years ago. You're the one God picked to fulfill the plan of the Savior coming. Come on, somebody. And every one of you in this room and everybody watching online, you have a plan and purpose too. You're favored. You're favored. You're favored. And so you just got to get that in your bones. But at the, again, you got to get to this place where favor, you got to choose to walk in it. See, because a lot of us, and this is so important you know this, that, that you can never qualify yourself from the grace of God. One of the greatest things you need to know about the gospel, the good news, is you can never disqualify yourself from God's grace. You can't sin so great that God's grace isn't greater. You can't sin so deep that God's love isn't deeper. No matter how much you mess up, how often you mess up, how short you fall, how big your sin is, come on, somebody, is anybody here thankful that God has a grace that is greater? So while you can never, while you can never disqualify yourself from God's grace, I believe you can disqualify yourself from God's call. Here's what I mean is, Right When God is looking, who am I going to use? God can use anybody, but I believe he's looking for people who are ready. People who are in position. People, not that we're perfect, but come on, that, that if, if, if God picks you in the workplace or God picks you in the community or God picks you to start a business or God picks you to do something great, nobody's shocked. Like, he's a Christian. She knows the Lord. Like, what I'm telling you is, the God, I can't make you pick me and I can't earn your pick and I can't earn your favor, but I want you to know, God, if you want to pick me, I'm ready to be picked. Come on, somebody. You got to volunteer for what God has for you. Come on, somebody. You got to volunteer. And so she gets this message that she's about to have a baby and she's not slept with anybody. And so she says this, Luke chapter 1, verse 34. She says, How can this happen? She might be illiterate, but she's not dumb. She may not be book smart, but she's street smart. Y'all know the difference, right? She knows where babies come from. Y'all know where babies come from, right? Up here, I have a diagram. <laughs> People are like, 
For all the people that are hiding your kids' eyes, if you put them in kids' church, you won't ever have to worry about anything I say. <laughs> I'm just telling you, if you all been here in church long enough, I say some rated R stuff. I'm telling you, my staff, they'll sometimes on Monday be like, Pastor, when you said that, I got out my phone and started like, getting out my resume. <laughs> things could go south. I do say things on purpose to stir you, to shake you, to wake you up. Because too many of you sat in churches too long and pews too long and got way too religious. So how can this be? Isn't it crazy? Think about this. She, she comes and an angel says, hey, God, God can make you pregnant. And not just pregnant, but pregnant with the Messiah. And she's like, how can this be? Isn't it crazy? Don't you find it strange how we are so quick to believe what the enemy says and so slow to believe what God says? Like, we feel like things, like we have a bad day, and all of a sudden, like, we're just ready to check out. We get in depression. We get anxious. We get one piece of bad news. We get one letter in the mail. Like, we get broke. Someone breaks up with us. It's not good enough for you anyways. And all of a sudden, we just think, man, life's over. And we just think, man, just what the enemy says about us, that we're nobodies. Like, let's just change that around. Let's start being quick to believe God and slow to believe the enemy. I am somebody. I do have a plan for my life. I am a child of God. I am favored by the Lord. I'm redeemed. I'm saved. I'm filled with God's grace. Come on, somebody. Let's be quick to believe. So this angel shows up. Hey, you are highly favored. You're going you're gonna to bear the Messiah, the Savior of the world. She's like, hey, how can this be? How can this be? And then he answers, and this is such a powerful answer. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the reason, I, I know, listen, if, if you're here and you're still checking things out, that sounds so ethereal that it's not relevant. But I want you to know that there is something incredibly practical about the power of God and the presence of God in your life. See, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, all the way in the beginning of everything, the Bible says, in the beginning, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep. And all of a sudden, in a moment, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of God, on a blank canvas, God brought everything we see into existence. And so if God can make all of this, he can certainly make a baby in a woman's womb. Come on, somebody. I want you to know, no matter what's going on in your life, the power of God is the solution. Like, there are lots of things. People can help you, and doctors, and attorneys, and friends. We need people in our life. But I want you to know, no matter what you're going through, God's grace and God's power is greater. He's able to do it. He's able to fulfill it. He's able to multiply it. God is able in his presence, if you'll get into his presence, God will give you peace and God will give you grace and God will help you not always figure everything out, but to have a peace as you're going through it. God's presence and power is enough and that's what the angel says to Mary. So she says, may everything you've said about me come true. God, this is a crazy plan, but you got it. I Here's what she's saying. I volunteer. Everybody say, I volunteer. I volunteer. God, I'll do it. Here's the thing, again, what you see over and over and over again through Scripture is it looks like volunteers are victims. And when you follow the story of Mary, it looks like she volunteers. Like, right, again, if you've been in church, like, oh, the mother of God. She volunteered for this glorious adventure. Let's be clear what she volunteered for. She volunteered to be the town slut. Because Joseph's like, that's not mine. In Jewish society and culture, the law said that adulterers could be stoned to death. 
Fornicators, those who slept with their spouse outside of marriage and would become pregnant, local societies and cultures, what they would do is they would take that woman, they would strip her of her clothes, they would put rags on her, and they would tie her in the center of town. And they would come and mock her and yell at her and blaspheme her name and call her a whore and leave her tied there as long as necessary for all the other young ladies in the community to get the picture. It's not a good idea to have sex outside of marriage. And so she's got a baby in her womb that she can't really explain rationally that most people or probably anybody would believe. And so when she said, here am I, she wasn't signing up for some glorious adventure. She was signing up for losing her integrity, losing her name, potentially losing her husband or her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, losing everything she had, her comfort. She put it all on the line. And I want you to know something. Sometimes if you're going to serve God, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be smooth. Sometimes you've got to walk away from where you are into where God wants you to be. Sometimes you've got to let go of some other stuff to grab a hold of what God had. It's not always easy, but come on, God says it is favor. But if you want his favor, you have to volunteer. You got to volunteer. You got to say, God, here am I. Use me. I'll go. And then you fast forward and watch this. So she's letting all of this stuff go. She's about to lose it all to walk out the plan and purpose that God has for his life. The same favor that's on your life, the same plan, the same God, the same purpose Now, fast forward. So nine months pass, right? She's pregnant now. And the the Roman Caesar, the head of the Roman Empire, he issues a decree. He wants to know how many people are in in my empire. And so all of the male have to go back to the city where their lineage comes from. And because Mary is now married to Joseph, she goes back with him to his home, native hometown of Bethlehem. And here's the story. Check this out. Luke 2. It says, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, his fiance, who is now, come on, read this, obviously pregnant. You know what obviously pregnant looks like, right? That looks like you could pop at any minute. Like, you know, those people got a baby, you know, baby, oh, you got a little baby bump. No, she was ready to blow at any minute. She was like, there wasn't like, are you pregnant? This, this, uh, you know, you know, the worst thing you do is ask a woman, are you pregnant when she's not pregnant? I didn't do this, but close. So this past week I went, I was picking my son up from school and I drove in and he came and got in the car. And when he gets in the car, we're waiting. There's a group of people crossing in the parking lot right in front of my car. And there is this lady who is obviously pregnant. She looks like she's ready to blow. So which I look at my son, and I was like, she's ready to go. She's ready to pop. He's like, Dad, that's mean. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, she's not pregnant. I'm like, yes, she is. Look at her. She's huge. Dad, she's not pregnant. She's one of my teachers. She's like 52. She can't even have a baby. And I'm like, oh. So if you don't know this, you don't ever want to give your son that kind of leverage over you. So I was like, no, you're, you're kidding around. I was like, no, Dad, for real, she's not pregnant. I'm like, oh, man, I felt so bad. I thought I could never go back to a parent-teacher conference ever. And then we start pulling away. He's like, no, I'm just kidding, Dad. That's not my teacher. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> so obvious. She's obviously pregnant, right? She's on her way now. So she's nine months pregnant. She's big. She's ready to pop. 
She's on her way. Now, here's the thing. Some of you who have been pregnant know how miserable it is not just to be pregnant, but be nine months pregnant. My wife, Shauna, she was about two weeks past due. Is my wife here? I think, our, I think Kayla, our first child, I think was almost 11 pounds. I know, right? I'm like, good Lord, it's like four of you in there. <laughs> huge, huge. And it's uncomfortable. Now, here's the thing. They want rolling in a Cadillac in luxury in heated reclining leather seats in the road on the way to Nazareth. She's riding on leather, but it's on the back of a donkey. She's nine months pregnant, and she's looking at God saying, I volunteered for this to be an outcast in my community, to be a reject of my family, to be looked down upon, and now i got to ride on the back of a donkey 30 miles to get to your hometown. Now think about this. It says, while they were both there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, uh, firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in the manger. Watch this. Come on, y'all say it, because there was no lodging available for them. I started thinking about this, and a lot of you who's been in church have heard this, there's no room in the end. And like, we have this picture like, we'll leave the light on for you, like it was a Motel 8 and we're booked up, no vacancy. That's not it at all. Historians tell us, and archaeologists tell us, that probably what it was is that many local homes had two floors, two rooms. There was a downstairs main room, it was the living room, dining room, kitchen, family room, and bedroom. Upstairs was for visitors. If someone came to town, it was a small bedroom upstairs for visitors. Most of them had a little garageette. And that's where they would put the animals when it got cold. And what I personally believe, and I can't back this up, but I think I'm probably safe to say this. you got to remember, can you imagine being Joseph's parents? And she comes and says, hey, mom and dad, don't be too upset. But the girl I'm going to marry, marry, right? You know her, you love her, right? Hey, she's pregnant, but I didn't sleep with her. It's God's baby. Can you imagine how they took that news? I believe when they got there and they showed up in, 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 in Bethlehem to be with family, distant family, I believe with all in my heart they thought, you can sleep out there with the animals, but no horse sleeping under my roof. That's what she signed up for. See, sometimes when you're a volunteer, it's not all smooth and easy, and it doesn't always make sense, but it's always glorious because it's God's plan, and it'll lead to something great. In fact, God has incredible plans that may feel like a difficult process, but lead to an incredible purpose. I'm telling you, listen to me, if you will volunteer what God has for you, if you'll say, God, here am I, send me, it might be bumpy, it might be challenging, it might be difficult, but I promise you, you will always say it was worth it. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I volunteered. Nobody, I promise, nobody ever regrets volunteering for the plan of God for their life. It doesn't mean everybody will say, oh, I wish I was you. Sometimes you got to wait till the end of the road to realize how it worked out. Now we look at Mary 2,000 years in the future, and we look back and thought, man, that's awesome. Look how God used her. But in the middle, when she was an outcast, when she was looked down upon, when she was, when she was the neighborhood uh, conversation, you better believe it was tough. She said, I volunteer. God, I'll do it. You can use me. And you know why? Again, she was the one of, of the fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14. And then God says, hey, wait a minute. I made a prophecy. I spoke a word through my prophets that when the Messiah comes, he'll be born in the city of Bethlehem. Well, Mary, you're all the way over here in Nazareth. I got to get you to Bethlehem. So when my, my son, the Savior of the world, is born, he'll be fulfillment with, of prophecy. So God moved on the heart of a king, Caesar, to put a decree 
to get Mary even more out of her comfort zone, put her on the back of a donkey to move 30 miles to get her in Bethlehem to fulfill Micah 5.2. See, it's, when we talk about favor, it's not about God blessing your plans. It's about you being blessed to be a part of his plans. So she shows up, and it's all starting to make sense, but it's still difficult. I heard a story last, last year. I was with a group of pastors, and a pastor friend of mine, his name is Sullivan McGraw. Sullivan pastors the church in Washington, D.C. And Sullivan was telling me this story about a lady in his church. She was a CEO, had a great job, six-figure, prosperous, doing well, beautiful house, fancy car, everything that comes with six figures in a position of a CEO. Until she found out through some downsizing, she lost her job. And as anybody goes through a tough time like that, you start to question God, where are you at? Why am I going through this? But she thought, I'll just find another job. And so she started applying and looking. And no matter how many jobs she applied for, she couldn't get a job. And so she started kind of lowering her standards, just saying, where can I get in? As time passed, they started getting behind on their bills, getting behind on their mortgage, getting behind on the utilities. Things are going from bad to worse quick. So finally, the only job that she can find where they'll hire her is to be a cleaning lady for another family. So she shows up a couple times a week, a woman who was once a CEO, and there's nothing wrong with cleaning houses, so if you do that for a living, I'm not talking down to you at all, but when you've once been a CEO, it's very, I imagine, demoralizing to clean someone else's toilet and make someone else's bed. But she does it. It's a source of income. It's all she has. Well, in the middle of all this, making this connection, cleaning this house, she finds out that her husband has, uh, his kidneys are shutting down. He's got this disease and it is rapidly getting worse. And the doctors tell him really like, you don't have a lot of time. Here's why, because we would like to get you a transplant, but your blood type is so rare, it's gonna be very difficult to find you a match. So in the midst of her losing her job, getting behind on her bills, now she finds out her husband is very sick and likely to die. So in the midst of working with his family, she's sharing the story. And the woman of the house that she's working for decides to go get tested. And she finds out she's a perfect match. And she donates one of her kidneys to her cleaning lady's husband. Here's what I want to tell you. In the journey of losing a job, getting behind on your bills, finding out your husband's sick is a horrible journey. But I want you to know, all the way in the back, God's like, oh, baby girl, you are favored. I've got a kidney for you in the future that you're going to need. You're going to hate the journey, but you're going to love the destination. See, it's not always easy and comfortable, but God's got a plan and a purpose for you. But in order for you to experience, you got to say, I volunteer. You might look like a victim, but I'm telling you, listen to me, volunteers often look like victims, but in reality, they are pioneers for God's plan. God's going to use you to pave a way, to make a way, to make a difference. you got to volunteer. God will never make you give. Some of you in this room, man, you're wrestling with volunteering, like just being a giver. I'm telling you, you'll never find out how much God can use you and bless you until you start being a tither and a giver. You're like, I don't know if I can do it. Some of you, God's calling you to do a small group, to lead a group. You're like, I, God, I don't know if I'm cut out for it. Let me tell you, if a, if a young 14-year-old illiterate poor girl can birth the child of God, you can do a lead a small group but all you got to do is volunteer. 
Some of you need to get on a team. You'll be shocked how God can use. Some of you need to have conversations around your cubicle and in your workplace. You'll be shocked what God could do. But God will never make you do it. You're favored. He's got great plans for you from his perspective. Your future is bright. But you have to volunteer. Because Mary, a little girl, the reason we know her is because she's like, I don't understand how it's all going to work. I'll be honest, it's kind of scary. I got the King James Version memorized. But let it be unto me according to your word. Here am I. I volunteer. God pick me. I'll do it. I'm favored. Everybody say I'm favored. You are favored. But you got to volunteer to be a part of the process, to get to the product, to see the fulfillment of God's plan. Jesus doesn't only want your acknowledgement, your approval, or even your admiration. He wants your acceptance. I accept. So be like the shepherds. Be a teller. Tell somebody about what God's done in your life, what he's doing, how he's come through, how faithful he is, how good he is, how gracious he is. Tell somebody your story. Forget what this world's telling you to keep your religion to yourself. Yeah, keep your religion to yourself, but share Jesus. Share his goodness, share his mercy, be a teller. Be a seeker. Keep getting closer. Keep wanting more. Keep pressing in. Keep praying. You don't have to pray perfect prayers. Just pray desperate prayers. Be a seeker. Let's be, let's be like Mary. Let's be a volunteer. Hear my God. I volunteer. You can use me. I'll put it all on the line to be a part of your plan. How many in this room would say, I'm... I want to be a volunteer. I want God to use me. I want to walk in his plan. Come on. I want to be a volunteer. Get your hand up. That's you. Lord, all over this house, we're grateful for the favor that's on our life. We may not see it yet. We may not even understand it yet. But we know because you're good, your plans for us are good. And so, Lord, I pray that we would say yes. And Lord, through the process, when it gets sticky and difficult and hard and awkward, I pray we wouldn't duck out too soon pray we would ride it all the way out to experience the purpose and the plan that you have for our life. Lord, here we are. We say yes and we volunteer. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees said amen. Amen. God bless you guys, man. We'll see you for Christmas. Get somebody here with you. Get somebody in the seat next to you. We'll see you guys then.